he's got Hi there, everybody. This is Armand DeMille with you with The Positive Mind. WBAI 99.5 FM on your dial. Almost at 1 o'clock every day. Bringing you ideas, concepts, and guests to help you lead a more positively-minded life. And today, we have some very important questions to bring to you. Very, very important questions. Today, I want to talk about the psychology of questioning. In the studio with me, Linda Vanella, Julian Joyello as well, uh, working always, always helping us do our research and finding the stuff we need to find. An article appears today in the New York Times that was fascinating. It was about physicians and how physicians are sometimes strapped by the stuff that people don't tell them. Now, I, I have a very interesting career. In my profession, people come to me to find out how they can straighten out their lives. And rarely will they ever tell me something that's not true because they want me to evaluate the truth. They want me to know how they think. So if they feel old or if they lose time or if they feel crazy or they get anxious, that's what they bring to me. They don't hide those things. Some people hide some facts, but mostly not. But with physicians, the physicians are finding that there is, it's more and more difficult to learn about a person because there's some secret that they're not telling the physician. Yes, we have uh, the element of the oftentimes emotionally challenged patient who will go into the physician, but... Um, because of either they have forgotten things or they don't want to uh, let them know too much, um, they're afraid and reluctant to ask questions. We also have people who are Okay, wait, let's go to that one. So, yes. so the emotionally challenged sometimes don't want to say that they're crazy. Right. Yes, they want to uh, present themselves as being well-adjusted, and they're somewhat embarrassed perhaps of the the thoughts that they have or that they need to conceal or they need they feel the need to conceal. So if you have, if let's say you're a compulsive eater and you're a compulsive eater and you go to your doctor and you say, I don't know why I'm gaining weight. Well, the doctor looks at that and he says, well, maybe you've been eating too much. That one's fairly easy. But the person who says I'm losing weight, who, who is anorexic or who may be vomiting every day, you know, whatever they eat, they might not tell the physician that. So the physician has to work as if that's not true, but every physician will have suspicions. The other kind of people who do this as well, is like you said about the, some of the elderly, yes. they don't like to talk about what they forget. Yes, I've seen that myself when seniors go to the physician and they don't want to let the physician know that they are actually challenged with um, some short-term memory issues and they're not, they're, they're not remembering things. So they're reluctant not only to ask questions, but they're not even sure how they want to answer them. So that um, a physician might ask questions, how are they sleeping? Oftentimes, oh, I'm sleeping fine, when in fact they're not sleeping at all. Other things that people don't talk about, they don't talk about using pills for erectile dysfunction 
which could have effects on the heart and other parts of your body as well. They don't talk about mixing medications. Sometimes they don't talk about that. Sometimes a physician, somebody will not talk about something that they will take that will be a nutritional supplement because they believe the doctor would judge them. Um, there are also people who are dying who don't want to talk about mortality. And substance users who jump through hoops to avoid anything that might restrict their substance use. So there are some tools that trap the elusive user. The standard implements of the trade come through like a physical exam could turn up needle track marks on your arm, and that could give a doctor hints. But the real question here is, or the real issue here is, what questions are the doctors not asking? Now, a new thing emerges in medicine, which is called HIPAA. And HIPAA now restricts information. So even if you had a patient, and this patient were a drug user, you may not be able to send that information to another, ther another physician because of privacy. The HIPAA protections have limited the amount of communication between, between uh, physicians. So what are we dependent on? We, the ones who are trying to help people, are dependent on our questions. Today, I want to focus this program on the psychology of questions. What questions are? What are they about? How do they feel? What's, it, what's the issue here? Why do we ask questions? What kind of questions do we ask? Do you ever meet anybody, I think, Julian, you were telling me a minute ago about people who ask questions who don't really want answers? Yeah, it's like they're, they're just asking questions to fill time or like to say words or I don't know what it is, but I feel like I know a lot of people that do this. Like what? What kind of questions? They're empty they questions ask? like, oh, how, how, uh, so how you been doing or how's, uh, how do you feel about the weather? It's like, what? <laughs> and they don't care. They're not yeah, they really. Don't, they don't care. And then they don't, they don't stick around for the answer either. Or if they are, they're not really sticking around for it. Questions have seemed to have a couple of purposes. One purpose that questions have is to find out if you're safe. You ask a person questions and you find out from their response if they are okay for you to be with. Like you ask somebody if... Uh, you also ask people questions when you want to exploit them. So you never know if somebody's asking you a question what their purpose is. You don't know. If you feel strong and secure, you answer innocently. Now imagine this question. Here was my scenario. Somebody walks up to you and says to you, Julian, you got any money? Somebody you don't know. Okay. You got any money? Uh, no. That's your first response, right? No. Yeah, no. <laughs> what happens to be true, but... <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hey. Now that you're a star. Who's asking? Now that you're a star, right? But if somebody walks up mm. and says, do you have any money? What's your first response, Linda? Yes, I would try to avoid that because I would feel, uh, I don't know, I don't want to tell them the truth and I don't want to lie, so I would be stuck. You would be stuck and you want to get away? Yes. Because it's an inappropriate question to ask a stranger. Do you have any money? The only reason you're asking that question is not for anything good. Right. Right? So you sense that. 
Many of us sense questions that we don't like. Hmm. So we duck away from the questions. In fact, when you were a kid and your parents asked you questions, do you think your posture was mostly to tell the truth or to figure out what was the possible punishment for telling the truth? The possible punishment. Yeah. We all learned how to lie to our parents. Why am I getting this question asked? Yeah. Were you out in that room last night? Uh-oh. Did you handle the, uh, the vase downstairs that's broken on the floor? No, I didn't see. Don't you remember I told you? No. We learn how to duck the questions because the questions incriminate us. Well, if you're a question ducker, how do you get through life? Having someone who loves you asking you real questions because they want to find out about you. Well, there's a real question. Is loving someone asking them questions? See, I think love is this very fascinating thing. I think when you love someone, and this is not just romantic. If you love anyone, it could even be a cousin. You're curious about them. There's always that question... Well, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Sure. What are you thinking? Well, you see, I want to know what you're thinking. I really would like to know what you think about things. I would love, Julian, I love your perception. Linda, I love your perceptions. If I have an issue, if something gets thrown up in the air here, I take it, and I go to these two folks and other folks, and I say, so tell me what you think of this. How do you like this idea? Filter it through your mind. No. No, my curiosity is to actually hear their response. As if I'm seeing something for the very first time. As if I've never seen this before. So if a friend of mine comes up and says, I'm thinking about doing two hours, 200 hours of uh, yoga training. And I go, oh, Eve, it's me. 200 hours of yoga training. How could you do such a thing? in back of my mind, but if this is somebody I respect, they say, and for what? And what's it for? And what's it going to do for you? Teach me. This is Armand DeMille, with you with the positive mind. We're talking about the science of questions. Stick with us, friends. You're going to get something out of this. It's really important because questions have much more value than you imagine. And in a love relationship, it is the questions that invite true love to happen. Because true love is getting to know you. Getting to know you. True love is getting some idea of who the other person is. Ancient saying, but a true and honest thought, that if you become a teacher, by your pupils you'll be taught. As a teacher I've been learning forgive me if I boast and I've now become an expert on the subject I like most getting to know you getting to know you getting to know all about you getting to like you getting to hope you 
doing it my way but nicely you are precisely my cup of tea isn't that a nice thing just wanted to sneak that up on you getting to know you julie andrews what a lovely thing now when you get to know somebody for the first time if you go on a date for the very first time very often you'll say to somebody uh tell me about you what kind of job do you have the reason you're asking it is because you don't want to go out with somebody who doesn't have a job. If they say to you, well, I'm freelance right now. I just used to be, uh, I used to do this job and I was doing carpentry for a while. Then I was working in, uh, and then, well, if you're somebody who's looking for a prospective mate, you may say, well, the reason I'm asking you this question is to help you eliminate yourself. If you ask somebody about their sexual history, well, Jay, you've been very wild. Have you ever had any uh, bisexual or homosexual experiences? Because you're asking because you're afraid of disease. And that's the real, the real reason you're asking. If you're asking, you know, how did you have your last, one of the great questions, how did your last relationship end? Guaranteed. If you find out how the, what problem the person had in their last relationship, you're going to find out the problem you're going to have with them. It's going to be the same thing. So these are questions that are loaded. Now, if you're me, I've learned to ask questions, and I've learned to ask questions to get to the bottom of things very fast. Within a half hour of my time, I could get to know most of the roadmap of your brain. But that's my training. That's my skill. Most other people, they ask questions and they watch. But primarily, they are asking and they are watching because they want to protect themselves. It's not out of curiosity. When you start loving somebody, that's where the curiosity is. Imagine, as, Linda, I wanted to ask you this about your grandkids. When you ask Neve questions, what's it like? I mean, are you asking her to find out what she's feeling, thinking, or seeing? Yes, I am. I'm asking and I'm very curious and I, um, I'm in awe because as you mentioned before, I think when she describes what she feels or what she sees, it's like seeing things for the first time. It's like um, experiencing something, not only uh, processing it through me, but um, attached to me or outside of myself, but seeing how she sees things and how she feels about things, and it's wonderful. What was the exciting. example of that mouse outside the house? Yes. <laughs> she, um, there was a little mouse that lived outside my house, so she had asked if we could take that mouse and bring it home because it was cold outside. So it made me have to think about, well, no, I think it wants to live outside. So she then brought me to understanding, but, but you know, Grandma, don't we like to live in a house where it's warm, and why wouldn't the mouse like to live in that warmth too? And so we talked about, but yes, it would mean it taking it away from its home and its family. So it was a, another opportunity for me to see how questioning could be wonderfully opening up of different worlds. You know, it's a pity. You ever hear this expression? Don't ask. Well, I grew up with that. Don't ask. That's what the adults always said. Don't ask. I knew one man who said, there are only two things in life I don't know, and that's one of them. 
no matter what you would ask him. You ask him a question, why is this guy blue? There are only two things in life I don't know, and that's one of them. So if you don't want somebody to be present, then don't ask them questions, or do ask them questions to control them. And that's mainly why we ask questions. Now, in a job place, in a work in in a work environment, it is very important to understand the power of questions. Because it's important to know that questions help build rapport and trust. They show people you're listening to them and you're generally interested in what they have to say. That's what you could show when you ask a question. Or you could ask a question to just hear yourself think. But when you ask a question and a person responds and you listen to their answer and don't contradict them, don't make a joke, something begins to happen. I met with a new group of men yesterday and they were getting to know each other for the first time. And there was such a temptation to make jokes at the beginning and to kid around at the beginning, but when they started to ask questions, so what's it like to do this? And what's it like to do that? Stuff began to happen. Questions help people discover you. Now also, questions enhance your credibility. The right question makes you look smart. The right question makes you look self-confident. The right question makes you show interesting and interested in the other person. You know, Armand, what I'm thinking about is um, how oftentimes questions can come about in a different way, too. For instance, just recently, I came across some people uh, who lived on the street and they wrote the question on a big cardboard. Um, and I was happy to be coming out of one place, and I saw this question, can you help me, with a big question mark. And I found myself, it was more difficult for me to pass that up, even though it wasn't somebody who asked me for money. That seemed to be easier for me to be able to pass up. So I think sometimes people could ask questions in such a way that it could affect us a lot differently. So questions are asked in different ways um, from different people for many different reasons and different, but I think it's an important and interesting approach. When something is written down, I know it, um, for me, it affects me differently. So this is Armand DeVille with Linda Vanella. Questions are, why do we avoid questions? Well, in, there are a couple of nationalities that believe you should never tell anybody how much money you owe. Now, there are some who flaunt every cent they have. And then there are some who it's absolutely forbidden. I have a neighbor in a place where I go. When I ask him, so how much money you got? We, we never say that. That's why we don't tip big. We don't want people to know how much we have. And she said, in our society, no one is allowed to know how much you have. Because if you tell people how much you have, they're going to try to take it from you. I know one man who's a very wealthy man. He was born with lots of money. He was told from the minute he was born, from the day he was born, every human you're going to meet is going to want some of what you have. Whatever they say to you, no matter what they offer you, no matter what they do, they're going to want what you have. Imagine what it's like growing up knowing that every human you talk to 
wants money from you. Everyone. When I asked him about it and I said to him, I said, well, what's that like? He said, well, you get used to it. You get used to every conversation has that somewhere in the background. And I thought, wow. How do you connect with people? The loneliness of being the super wealthy. There are other things you want to hide from people. You don't want people to know about you. And we will be taking your calls a little later related to this at 212-957-2729. After our break, we'll be taking calls, 212-957-2729. There are things you want to hide from people. You want to hide your wealth. You want to hide your sexuality. Now, that's a very interesting thing. Because if you think about it in the origin of mankind, there was a time when humans were developing and the human female at the age of 12 or 13 had a pelvis too small for the emerging human head that was getting bigger and bigger. Do you know this? And what happened was their heads were getting bigger, but if you're 12 years old and 10 years old, you can't afford to get pregnant because the head of the baby that would be born could kill you, can't pass through your pelvis. So this is many million years ago. So what they did was they figured out how not to have sex at 10 years old, how not to get pregnant at 10, 11, and 12. And the way they figured that out is the female who, if she hadn't done this, our race wouldn't exist. We wouldn't be here now. Um, The female learned how to hide their sex. They learned how not to let their estrus show, to show that they were readily available. So females hiding their sex saved humankind. And if females didn't hide their sexual preparedness, we wouldn't be here today. Males, in response, realizing that females were hiding their sex, had to figure out, are you ready for sex or not? So the males now have to become the guys who are trying to find out, where did you hide it? Is it available? How could I get some of it? And so this exchange took place between men and women, where from now on, From this moment on, this one lie of hiding your sexuality becomes such an important item and then discovering it. So one of the things that is very natural to do, and it's millions of years old, is hiding your sexuality. If you see somebody who's an attractive woman and you're a man and you've got the hots for it or if you're a woman and you've got the hots for this person, you hide it. Yes, I like your eyeglasses, right? I love, you know, oh, and you have some casual conversation, but hiding your sex drive is important. Another thing that people hide to their detriment is their anger. You feel angry, we're learned, we're taught in this culture to hide your anger. So if you say to somebody, are you angry? They will generally say, no, I'm not angry. You know, they'll generally turn you down. They'll say not. But they are, you know, if a person is angry, they generally won't show it to you. But it comes out in other ways. People also hide fear. They don't want you to know they're afraid. Every animal in nature will try to hide its vulnerability. It tries to hide the fact that it's vulnerable and that may be frightened. Also, people hide their need. When you feel needy, you know, you go to a dance. 
you're lonely. You show up to dance. They want you to show up confident and energetic. Needy, it's kind of got a drain of energy. Also, you try to hide your vulnerability. Vulnerability is when you feel weak. People also tend to hide the past that doesn't benefit them. Like trying to talk about your failures or your last relationship or something that happened to you in the past, you tend to hide that too. And of course, you always hide where it's not appropriate sex, drugs, and rock and roll and your experiences and so on and so forth. So if you're asking questions, it's very important to know, can you possibly get a real response to the questions? And the answer is how you ask the question. What's a question like? Do you ask questions in such a way that people would defend against telling you the truth? How about this question? Do I look fat in this dress? Uh, of course not. Do you think she's better looking than I am? Oh, absolutely not. These are questions that are loaded. And they're so loaded that you have no choice of giving a real response. Are you finding that person attractive? What person? I have no idea what you're talking about. I want love relationships where questions are wanting answers. I want love relationships with friends, with people, where a question is a question and it welcomes an honest response. Welcomes, doesn't censor it. We're going to talk about, when we come back from our break, we're going to be talking about the questions at work in the workplace and how important they are. And there are certain kind of questions even that take place during an interview called the open-ended question that is very potent. Remember, a question helps you build rapport and trust, which directly affects what gets received and what gets deleted. So if you could feel comfortable with a person's questions, and if you could comfortable asking questions, you're going to be more powerful in life. We're compelled to answer questions. There's something in our makeup as humans that causes a sort of automatic answering reflex when we're asked a question. It's related to our need for completion. A question's like a joke without a punchline or the first line of a popular song. It's incomplete, and the other person starts to fill in the blanks to complete it. That's what you want. The warning is the question must be the right kind of question, asked at the right time. Otherwise, you risk invading the person's personal space. But there is this need to complete questions, to answer questions that human have. I like, I've seen once in a while, somebody asks someone a question and they don't answer. Isn't that odd? Isn't it odd to ask somebody and not have them answer? When we come back from our break, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about that plus the stimulation of the brain. Because questions stimulate the brain. Using PET scans, researchers have discovered that questions stimulate the neocortex. They show you as, as safe and genuine and then ask the right kind of questions. Do that in order. 
and you'll engage people's old brain and the new brain. You want to engage their old brain and their new brain. The right questions will get you through a person's mental filters and defense mechanisms. Questions help you build rapport and trust, and we're going to be taking your questions when we come back. We're going to take a short break, my friends, and play you a little sophisticated music. And then when we get back, we'll continue and take your calls at uh, 212-957-2729. Austin, stand by. We're going to be coming to you soon. We'll be right back. Mama was queen of the mambo, papa was king of the Congo Deep down in the jungle I start banging my first bongo Every monkey like to be in my place instead of me Cause I'm the king of bongo baby, I'm the king of bongo bong I went to the big town where there is a lot of sound From the jungle to the city looking for a bigger crown So I play my bongi for the people of big city But they don't go crazy when I banging on my boogie I'm the king of the Hear me when I come, baby. King of the bongo, king of the bongo. Nobody like to be in my place instead of me, cause nobody go crazy when I bangin' on my boogie. I'm a king without a crown, hanging loose in a big town. But I'm a king of bongo, baby. I'm the king of bongo bongo. King of the bongo, king of the bongo. Hear me when I come, baby. King of the bongo. Hear me when I come. They say that I'm a clown, making too much dirty sound. They say there is no place for little monkey in this town. Nobody like to be in my place instead of me, cause nobody go crazy when I'm banging on my boogie. I'm the king of the bongo, king of the bongo. Hear me when I come, baby. King of the bongo, king of the bongo. Hear me when I come. Banging on my bongo. That swing belongs to me I'm so happy there's nobody in my place instead of me I'm a king without a crown Hanging loose in a big town I'm the king of bongo baby I'm the king of bongo bong King of the bongo, king of the bongo Hear me when I come baby King of the bongo, king of the bongo Hear me when I come Mama was queen of the mambo, papa was king of the Congo Deep down in the jungle, I start banging my first bongo Every monkey like to be in my place instead of me Cause I'm the king of bongo, baby, I'm the king of bongo bong That's Manu Chow, king of the bongo Hey my friends, this is Armand DeMille with you with The Positive Mind we are uh, bringing you ideas about questions, and I, it's very important because I do training of therapists, prospective therapists, and I supervise therapists, and I find one of the biggest places that they miss is in how to ask a question. Yes, Armand, why do you think it's so difficult for therapists to ask somebody um, a very direct, like, have you, have you thought about wanting to kill yourself? Um, I find that sometimes that's very difficult. Why do you think it's so difficult? 
Well, Linda, why is it difficult for a therapist to ask a patient, when you go to the bathroom, do you have any difficulty passing your bowels? Yeah, why is that? Why do therapists I mean, have you, such a you, hard time being so... But you would never ask that question, would you? Oh. No, it's right. right. You see, <laughs> see that hesitancy? Yes. We have hesitancy over yeah. things that are, and that's important. I feel like you're getting too personal, perhaps. Well, to this is it. Now in- we have this, this area we're not allowed to talk in. So let's talk about yours. You worked in a hospital with people who you knew you had to screen for suicide threat. Yes. So when you were working with it, that was an important question, yes. right? Yes. What made you ask it directly? You have to ask it directly. You have to know immediately if there's if there's a high risk person and a person you would ask are you thinking about killing yourself and then you would think about what's your plan do you have a plan so there's a big difference between people who have suicidal what we call ideation and we have a plan one of the things that we hear you know a lot of people worry about suicide here's the difference between people who might and might not you have a potential suicide if a person not only says I was thinking of it, because everybody who is anxious, if you have an anxiety disorder, one of the things that you do is you wait for an end to this anxiety. If you have depression plus anxiety, you just can't stand it. It's a torment. It's like sitting on an electrical wire. And you say to yourself, if only this would end. If you're sick and you have an illness, you say to yourself, oh, God, I wish they would come and take me away right now. That is not a suicide threat. The suicide threat comes when the person has a plan and a way to implement it. And they say, yes, I have. I want to hurt myself. So a lot of people will talk about suicidal thinking. And it will trigger a lot of therapists to run away immediately. Oh, they talked about killing themselves. I don't care. Of course you talk about killing yourself. I wouldn't. If I were you, I'd talk about it too. You're miserable. You're unhappy. Of course you want to end your life. Let's move on from there. But do you have a plan? Have you ever got a gun or anything like that? That's what I'll ask them. They'll tell me no, but I think about killing myself all the time. That's all right. I understand that. That doesn't stop me automatically. There are questions that employers ask people for a reason. And one of the questions that you like to ask employers is you want to know how, if you, if an employer asks you an open-ended question, he wants to figure out an open-ended question like, what are your weaknesses? They very often will ask you that. What's your, what are your weaknesses? What are your primary weaknesses? What a hell of a question to ask somebody who's applying for a job, right? Oh, well, sometimes I can't. And you try to answer that question. It usually knocks you off. But the employer asks that question for a good motivate, a good reason. They want to know how you handle that. Here's another question that employers usually ask. Why should I hire you? And you, these are questions that you can prepare beforehand, before you go to, for an interview. Because if you have that answer, they'll find out whether you're an extrovert, whether your job is interviewing, requires significant teamwork, They want to find out if you're a player, if you're somebody who could be part of a team, not just if you do your job. Other questions that you might be asked show, they show your motivations. They'll ask you, like, what do you intend to do five years from now? Tell me about yourself is an open question. 
Well, you know, and these are questions that I believe everybody should prepare before they go for a job interview. They want to know your values. Why do you want to work for this company? I got to tell a story about a friend of mine who went to work. He was a social worker. He couldn't find a good job. And then Oxford interviewed him, Oxford Mental Health. At the time, they were at the pinnacle of uh, where they still are. So Oxford goes and they interview him for a job and they say, we want you to be here to help people get or not get. And so he got the job. He had the job and it was a very high paying job. He was getting, oh, at the time it was a lot of money, $50,000 a year for this job. And right before he took the job, he said, but I want you to know that ethically I disagree with a lot of Oxford's policies. I disagree with the way that you do a lot of things in turning people down. I want you to know ethically. After he got the job. Well, they told him not to report on Monday. Oh, we found something. Oh, somebody else is coming back. Sorry. He exed himself out of the job by saying a little too much. They want to know your goals. Open-ended questions cannot be answered with mere yes or no. But open-ended questions are there so that you let the other person float into giving you information. And you listen. You listen. Listen to somebody on a date. Let them talk to you. Now, comes this other question, Linda, and I'm going to ask you as a woman. There are men who go on dates with women, and I know you've worked with a lot of women patients, and so have I. It seems like the men always want to talk about themselves and the women don't. Is that true? Well, <clears throat> I'm not so sure that that's true or um, if that's the population of women that I've come across. But, yes, I tend to think that, um, that most of the women that I know have said that, that uh, it just seems like, oh, you know, they love to ask questions, but um, basically the men that they are on dates with really prefer to speak about themselves and they really don't want to ask anything about them. Yes. So the main thing that mm -hmm. they have is they want to show you their feathers. They want to show you how strong they are. They want to show you how powerful they are. Austin, stand by. They want to show you all of this stuff, and they want you, because they want you to give them sex. See? So this goes back to our original thing. We've discovered that you're going to be hiding yourself, so I'm going to show you how strong I am, how powerful I am, how this way I am. Because that's what's important, because I believe that your will will be taken over by your believing I'm a strong animal. So men talk about their strength. They don't ask about you. They don't want to know about you. Just get in bed. That seems to be the issue. Other people will approach you with a respect and a knowledge. And it's really beautiful when it happens. Let's take one of our calls. Austin, are you standing by? Hello. Hey there. Hi, Armand and Company. Hey, Austin and Hi, Company. Austin. Nice to hear from you. It's been a couple of years since we've been on air, so it's good to be I here. I know, but Thanks. I hear from you frequently. <laughs> yeah, we know. That. Through that other mode, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, let me just quickly say, I, and I will try to personalize it as best I can. I know that's the way you want to interact, and I, and I prefer it that way, too. I, I think part of what's going on there with the men is they're... That's an extreme version. I don't think all of it is just that they're being pompous or, or, or putting uh, necessarily wanting to, uh, you know, show their, their plumage. I think part of it is they're trying to stave off the interview slash interrogation slash inquisition. 
Ah, so you important. believe it's a defensive move yeah. to present yourself so that you don't get that inquisition. Right, right, right. that's part of it. Alma, uh, listen, I, I was one of these kids who, who, who was slow to develop a sort of protective guile, uh, uh, you know, a protective veneer of, of guile, and I was very honest as a little kid in thinking that I, I wasn't uh, getting the things I needed because I wasn't honest enough. And then, you know, I have now sort of gone into the other extreme, and I'm trying to work at some medium, but, uh, you know, a, a lie is not a lie is a lie. A, a lot of men, I think, lie because they, they're protecting... You want to get your foot in the door. Just because you lie about certain technical issues doesn't mean you're lying to get advantage or to abuse or take, or, or take advantage of someone. So there's a the, there's the pathological liar who's looking to, to, you know, be opportunistic and exploit someone. And then there's guys who maybe haven't... Uh, caught the capitalistic bug and been successful to that degree in that manner. So we, we use lying or, or by admission or commission as a way of getting around that and getting getting somewhere. So, sure, you know, I understand, that, Austin. Yeah. yeah, if the people have the kind of knowledge that you have and integrity you have, I got no doubt about them at all. <laughs> you know, I got no doubt about them at all. You're a remarkable man. I've known you for years through, uh, and I've always appreciated every comment you've ever had, every observation you've ever had. You're a good guy. So, you know, if you wanted to lie to me about something or if you wanted to tell me something that wasn't true, I'd be perfectly happy to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> there may be a time and a place for it, Alma. Who knows, you know? Thank you very much, Austin. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Uh, one of those special guys. I hear that voice come up. Our telephone number is 212-957-2729. Our lines have been tied up, but we're going to be trying to taking your calls about this. Asking the question is such a big thing. Asking the question and listening to the answer, listening to the answers. That's how I try to train people to do it. And it's so hard because they just don't know what to do. How do you ask a question without having an answer assumed in your mind? Let's talk to Troy. Hi, Troy. You're on the air. This is Armand DeMille. Hello, Dr. Amand, and greetings to all of our listeners. Um, thank you, first of all, for the book by Yalom. Uh, oh, you did get Yalom's when book. When wept. Yes, I did. Thank you. At least I ordered it off of Amazon um, because I got confused, as you already know. But thank you, thank you, thank you. My question is this, and I'll be very brief. John F. Kennedy once said, ask not what you can do for your country, but I think I said it right. Ask not what you, your country can do for you, but ask what can you do for your country. I find that so troubling today because I'm so cynical. Can you help me? What do you mean you're so cynical? You're so cynical? I, I mean, if I, was to, if I was to ask what can I do for my country, I mean, I was laid off from Wall Street. I give, I mean, I'm from, let me just be honest with you. I'm the youngest of eight, from, originally from North Carolina. I was born to be a sharecropper. Thank God I wasn't. And um, it just turns out I have a fa I come from a family that never talks to each other. I don't. I believe if you have to have driver's license to drive a car, you should have driver's license to have children. My concern is I really want to love my nation, my country, but our leadership does make. Troy, me let me that. ask you a question. Let me yes, ask you sir. a question. Is there a single human on the planet that you love? That's a good question. It's a good question. Um, and the pause indicates a whole lot, doesn't it? That's right. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's perfectly all right. That's why I'm asking. And wouldn't you love to love someone? Sure. Okay. That's what we're asking for. I just arrived at loving myself, and that is to That's me That's a great tremendous. beginning. 
That's a great beginning. So ask not what you could do for your country. Ask what you could do for yourself. Yeah, that's of even, I knew calling you would save the day. Thank you very much, Dr. Thanks, Armand. Thanks, Troy. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye-bye. Yes, wouldn't it be beautiful? 212-957-2729. Wouldn't it be beautiful to have someone who you could be curious about? Curious, you know, there's like the trouble with being married too long. You're no longer curious about your mate. You know, you imagine turning over to your mate from 30 years and saying, so what would you think of that? You know, what did you think? What did that feel like to you? That kind of curiosity. You know, that's what we're asking. Hey, Carol, you're on the air. This is Armand DeMille. Hello, Carol. Hello. Hello. Hi, Armand. Hello, Carol. Hi. Um, Armand, I came from a family. We didn't speak a lot to each other. And as a result, I... People have accused me of being very secretive, and I think it's because I really don't trust people to tell them my deepest feelings. Sure. Sure. Do you come from a family of... Na- now, Now, also, I want to ask you something. Do you, um, do you like to knit? No. Do you like to cook? I lo- no, I love to read. Read. And when you read, do you read many, many books? Do I read what? Sorry. You read a lot of books. Do you do you grab as many as you can? Yes, yes, yes. And do you have anybody that you share your reading with? Maybe one. Maybe one person. My 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 best friend. My girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. So you see, there are certain people, Carol, who grow up being alone. In, mm-hmm. in the Enneagram, if you look up the Enneagram, which I think you should look at, you'll see something about the five personality. And the number okay. five personality is a very interesting personality because that's the way it is. Now, on the other hand, you have this other personality, which is called the eight personality. And the eight is always out there telling the truth because they use it almost as a weapon against the world. They believe okay. I can speak so much truth, it'll intimidate you. There are two mm-hmm. types, but you know, they're two parts of the same coin. Yeah, There's because a, I can't be like that to Armand. That's right. That's what I mean. So you can be both ways. And you can either be out there all the way or you could be totally withdrawn on the inside. But it sounds to me, Carol, like you had some damage early on and it taught you not to trust anybody. And I would imagine the damage took place in a betrayal with your mother. Could you tell me a little about that? My mother. Um... How did she betray you? I I think the, the the greatest I think I would say she didn't I think she betrayed me by not even though she was a very strong person my uh, married to my father she gave up she gave up her strength yeah, she gave up her strength um, and to, didn't to, defend to, you to, to take care of my father I so, think that's how I would think she. She didn't, she didn't portray to me what a strong woman would have done, I think. If you had Even a child... Even though she was stronger than my father. She was stronger, but she defended him, and in a way, by doing so, de- betrayed you. 
because you and, and my and my other siblings, yes, and your other siblings as well. So that's what you hear when you hear somebody who doesn't have a mother. You hear somebody who's kind of beaten, you know, and they're beaten, and they're they're beaten to a point where they just say, "That's it. I'm not going to let anybody in." Now, here's the answer to this, Carol, and it's an answer that I give to everybody. Here's the only reason that I think therapy is a terrific thing. Because if you find the right person, you open up the door once again and you say, okay, I'll let one person in the door. One person I'm going to let in this door. And when you let the one person in the door, it somehow opens your heart to many other people. And it feels like a giant relief. I think that's the real value of therapy. The real value of therapy is that you can learn to trust just a little bit again. But it's hard oh. to f- hard to find the right person. Exactly. You know, but I know I know the right people. I could tell you that if there is a if you ever want help to step on the outside, you give me a call and I'll find you somebody and you're going to find an invitation waiting for you. Thank you, Armand. Thank you for calling in, Carol. Okay. 212-957-2729. Uh, it's sad to hear. You know, it's sad to hear when people have a sense of being beaten to a point that they have to be private. So, so private. And that's part of what questions are about. Questions give you this sense of privacy that, you know, you just, I've got to hide out from you. You've got to hide out even from your questions. Hi, this is Armand DeMille. You're on the air. Hello there. Oops, hello. Hi, I had a bad dream. Tell me, John. At 5 o'clock in the morning, it woke me up, and I learned something from it. It kind of gave me insight to uh, some youthful damage. Wow. Do you remember something about the dream? Yes. I have to calm down for a second. Let me breathe. Okay, John, stay with me. I'll stay with you, okay? Okay. So, um, I used to have some, uh, I used to cry, and I, I was too young to know why. I think it's because uh, my mother uh, <laughs> went to work. I think I was too young or too attached and left me with um, a sister who was too young to uh, properly assume that responsibility. Did she torture you? (laughs) Yes. That's what I thought. I'm having an anxiety attack. You're having right now. You know what you're really happening? What's really happening is something is breaking through in you. Yes. And you know the tears that you're fighting back? Well, That's a gateway. Okay. It's a gateway to a newness, so you don't have to hold those back. It okay, was well. painful as a kid. Yes, but I was expressive, so I did express, so at least it wasn't uh-huh. that bad. Yeah. And uh, what happened in your dream, John? I was on the phone with one sister, the good one. <laughs> And, wait a second. Oh, yeah, because she transferred me to the bad one. 
and that one told me that they, her and my mother, had sold off some piece of equipment that related to my creativity, and she seemed to be happy about it. So it's kind of almost like a reliving of a similar situation that may have happened in the past, mm -hmm. but with different specifics, of course. Has anything in your life changed over the last two months, John? Has there been a radical shift? Yes. I could hear it. Can you tell me what it was? I decided that I'm a highly emotional person, and that's okay. And I decided I'm going to express my emotion everywhere as I can and accept it, except for the place where I should not be expressing it, which is my work. Okay. So, so it was a breakthrough, and I became more successful at my work. So I, I've been working on my psychology for forever. I'm not the hero child. Well, John, I can tell you, I could hear a transition in you. I could hear yes. it. I could hear you going through uh, through some new stuff. Yeah. You well, know, and congratu too. congratulations to you. You know, and and just I'm going to let you know one thing. You know those tears that you used to feel when you were younger. Yeah. Whenever they come up now, let them flow. Absolutely. Let them flow. Tears are the sweat of the heart. Yes, I believe I've heard you say that before. I'm also growing up on you, by the way. So you're a huge impact on my ability to grow through these things. You mean you're, you've been hearing me for many years? Yes. Yeah, well, I'm glad. Probably 20, I think. I'm so. glad to have been a part of it. You sure are a big part of it. I mean, I, uh, I you know, totally give you a lot of credit for helping me without even knowing me. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, it seems like I've been in a lot of people's lives without even knowing it. And Isn't it that appears, great? It appears every now and then. Yeah. I appreciate it from you, and I thank you so much, John, for calling in. Thanks. Thank you, man. Okay. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Well, we have to be going, my friends. We have to be going, unfortunately. Uh, Anderson, we have to be going. And if you want to send me an email, if you want to continue with this, 212. Oh, you can send me an email. I'm sorry. Armand at thepositivemind.com. We will be back with you tomorrow at 1 p.m. sharp or thereabouts. Not based on our own doing, but who knows? Maybe the stars will line up properly. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Send me an email, armand at thepositivemind.com. Back with you soon, my friends.